0: Good morning. good morning. It's so good to be back. It's been a while, and, um, you know, I've kind of been in hiding, but I've licked my wounds, and I'm, I'm back in, in uh, God's grace again. Thank goodness for that. And I'm glad to be here. Though, quite frankly, if I had looked at the date before I said yes, I would have said, oh, heck no, waking up at 4.30 was not in my plan let us go to God in prayer. We bow before you, O God, and seek your word in the words about to be spoken. Grant that, choosing wisely among them, we may face the coming days with vision cleared, faith renewed, and unity restored in a way that points others to the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Let us go to scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 10 through 18. And I also want to if you're a person who writes things down, you can I also refer to Psalm 27 um in my text today. So if you want to know that. Listen for the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another... I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except for Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household as Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... Normally, when, when Jason will ask me to preach here, I follow, I'm, I'm a good, you know, filler in because I follow whatever the, the sermon series he's doing for the time. But this text just, ugh, I couldn't wait to preach it, and I'll explain why. I had a friend who I hadn't seen in 43 years I've reconnected with, and she was coming down to spend the weekend with me. And this was back in uh, late January. And I was really excited. I haven't seen her since high school, but we kind of lost friendship in high school because we went our ways. But in junior high, oh my goodness, we were tight. Like we never spent a second without one another. And so I hadn't seen her in 43 years. And I thought, oh, she's spending a weekend with me. What if we don't like one another? You know, what if, you know how it is when someone stays at your house and you don't know them and you're kind of like, eh. I'm going to be exhausted when they leave. So she came down, and I can tell you, it was like we were totally back to being junior high kids. And it was so much fun. I mean, we we talked all through the night and day, and we didn't go to church, I confess, that Sunday morning, because we just wanted to be together, and I didn't want to share her with anybody. So we went to the lectionary, which is my favorite go-to, you know, for scripture, and we looked up, and it was this passage. And after we read it aloud, I looked at her, I said, oh my goodness, I have to preach on that. Look how Paul spoke here. And immediately I thought, gee, what am I preaching? I'm like, hmm, I don't know if it'll go. I'm like, but it's about the cross, and we're getting in the Easter season, and and yeah, I'm going to do this no matter what the sermon series is. And I was so excited to sit down and write this sermon. You know, the the scripture just spoke to me because Paul was so vivid and irritated, and I could just see him writing this letter like. Mm. Like, if if they had pencils back then, he probably would have broken a couple. And if he was like me, he would have, before he sent that email, he probably asked three of his friends to read it first. Which is why he didn't start off with, what is wrong with you? But instead, he started off with, dear brothers and sisters. But that is not what he was saying. And as he goes on, he lets loose. And he starts being soft, but then you can just hear him say, Why can't you just be like your brothers and sisters in Philippi? What is wrong with you, Corinthians? What to follow in this letter was so important, he wanted them to hear him and not close off his ears. Unlike Lucy from the comics, who looks at her brother Linus and demands he change the TV channel. And Linus says, What makes you think you can come here and tell me what I need to watch? Lucy says... These five fingers. Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together in a single unit, behold, they become a powerful weapon that is terrible to behold. Which channel do you want? Says Linus. Turning away, he looks at his own five fingers and says, Man, why can't you guys get together and be organized like that? It's funny, but so true. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to lead a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit— Just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I often wonder, what would happen if every church throughout the entire world that says they are followers of Christ came together and agreed on one thing? Just one! I don't know widows, orphans, pick something that we can all agree on that scripture says do this. I I imagine it would be phenomenal. But we spend our time arguing about how to baptize. What happens when you take communion? Who should take communion? Should women be preachers? Should homosexuals be preachers? Should you have music in the church? Should you not have music in the church? Psalm 133 verse 1 says, How good it is when all God's people live together in unity. Now I appeal to you that all of you be in agreement by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. I know you're sitting there thinking, that is impossible. But Paul will not settle for the status quo. There may there may be no quick solution, but there can be no casual acceptance of disunity. I'm going to get back to that, but let's get to my favorite part where Paul rolls his eyes. Because I love that he's crazy and passionate, and I feel like I, I get him so well. Um, he says... I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Different theologians view this section in two different ways. Paul is mentioning the great figures of the church, but they didn't have anything to do with the divisions. He's just giving an illustration to make a point, sometimes like I do. Some people idolize their preacher more than Christ. Some people idolize their church more than Christ. Some people idolize their programs more than Christ. For instance, when the pastor's gone, some people don't show up because the pastor's, you know, not there to take role. He doesn't see that you're not there or not. And then you have that passive-aggressive thing that happens with Christians in the community that go to different churches oh, that's so nice that you like your new pastor. You know, our church is growing so much that we need an off-duty officer because we have traffic and it's just crazy. But it's not what we need to be about. The thing with the Corinthians is that they were far more concerned with polished oration than with the content of the message. And that's the culture we live in today. People are far more interested in what you have to say than how you have to say it. You can say all things, like our politicians, if you have cleverness of speech and are wise in your word usage. The second take on this section is that these great church leaders' names have been appropriated by the Corinthian factions. The leaders, they didn't have any part in the dissension. I want you to hear that. Um, You can clearly see that through Paul's outrage. The parties that claimed to belong to Paul were mainly Gentile. Paul preached the gospel of Christian freedom and the end of law. It's likely they were turning to their new liberty as an excuse to do what they liked. I'm sorry, God, I have sinned. Please forgive me. Two weeks later... Whoops, I did it again. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. Rudolf Bultmann, German theologian, wrote: The Christian indicative always brings the Christian imperative. People forget that they were saved not to be free to sin, but to be free not to sin. The faction claiming to belong to Apollos. Well, these were the intellectualized, they turned Christianity into a philosophy. Cephas is the Jewish form of Peter's name, and they were mostly Jewish legalists who exalted law and by doing so, belittled grace. Those saying they belonged to Christ in this manner were most likely those who saw themselves as the only true Christians. You know what I'm talking about. Our church believes in the Bible as the word of God. Okay, um, so, so do we. So do we. Barclay's commentary states their real fault was not in saying they belonged to Christ, but in acting as if Christ belonged to them. Although we cannot reconstruct the nature of this conflict with certainty, we can ascertain that the heart of the problems in the Corinth church is the fact that the members are all puffed up and competing against one another. Being much concerned about the rise of denominations in the church, founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, tells of a dream he had. In the dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell. There he asked, Are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, came the answer. Then he asked, are there any Baptists? Yes. Any Episcopalians? Yes. Any Catholics? Yes. Any Methodists? Yes. The answer was yes to each. Much distressed, Wesley was then ushered to the gates of heaven. There he asked the very same question, and the answer was no. 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 To this, Wesley asked, well, then, who is inside? The answer came back, there are only Christians here. The situation that Paul described is not remote. The church I'm talking about is the big church. Christianity, the church that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The ones who say the Apostles' Creed, I believe all that. But you see, we are so divided by our causes. Social justice against biblical faithfulness. Progressivism against traditionalists. Furthermore, any loyalty may be foisted onto Jesus as his special concern, thus bringing Jesus Christ down into the melee as one cause among others. Jesus is not a cause. Jesus is Lord of all. All our causes, even the great ones, even the fantastic ones, cannot reflect but a fraction of the glorious good that Christ has done and will do for his creation. Our theological and ethical disputes are hopelessly compromised as soon as we fail to recognize those with whom we contend as also in Christ. All our initiatives, parties, groupings, causes, as it were, are inside the brackets. Christ is alone, outside, as Lord of all. When I was a chaplain in the military, I attended this gathering of military chaplains in Palm Springs, and um, I was very happy to see a chaplain friend of mine who's a priest there because I was the only woman, obviously, in the group. And we all met for before dinner drinks and all that jazz. And my friend and I got together and sat down because everybody was drinking and talking and all that. We sat down at a little table and we brought a deck of cards because I almost always have a deck of cards on me. Um I love games. Games are the best. So I brought out the deck of cards, and him and I played cards, not for money or anything, just because we were passing the time and having a good time together. Next morning, we were called into the commander's office, and we were told that we were sinful in our evening because other chaplains saw us as being disrespectful to Christ and the cross because we were playing cards. And I sat there, and I thought, are you kidding me? You know, the one priest, because priests are hard to find, and the one woman are being brought before the commander because we are so awful playing those cards. I'm thinking, man, if chaplains cannot get together and agree, how is the regular church member ever going to get together and agree? I, I... Really? How does this work? How can we be united when we are all so individual? Well, just look at the simple little snowflake. It's such a fragile structure, each unique in its own way. But look what power they can wreak when a whole bunch of them get together. Remember earlier I said I would come back to the casual acceptance of disunity Here we are. We cannot sit back and allow that to happen because the definition of to unify means to become whole. So if the Christian church spends all of its time debating preaching styles, appropriate music, who's allowed to preach, who's allowed to take communion, we will never be fully whole. And if so... Why bother saying the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because if we meant that, we would be reaching across the aisle, so to speak. Many Christians reach out across the aisle to other faiths, to Hindus, to Muslims, to Buddhists. But it's almost unheard of For a Southern Baptist to reach across the aisle to a Catholic, even though they have incredibly similar theological understandings of Scripture. When I applied a few years ago to be chaplain at my son's Episcopal school, I was told, dang, it's unfortunate that you're a Presbyterian. And and I know that Presbyterians and Episcopalians are allowed to take communion together. So what's the big deal? Every time a Christian denomination tears down another, we diminish the power of the cross. Tonto and the Lone Ranger were riding through a canyon together when all of a sudden both sides were filled with Native American warriors on horses dressed for battle. The Lone Ranger turned to Tonto and asked, "'What are we going to do?' Tonto replied, "'What do you mean, white man?' Paul calls on his listeners to overcome the quarreling and jealousy that have undermined the community. Paul frequently instructs his readers in other letters to be of one mind. For Paul, diverse people have one mind and one spirit through a common commitment to what? To Christ. He cannot stand special interest groups. His frustration is apparent in verse 13 with that list of rhetorical questions. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? He is indicating the absurdity of dividing into factions. The question, is Christ divided, anticipates the later argument that members are nothing more than the feet and hands in the one body of Christ. Composed of people from every background. Paul writes that you be united, equipped, that you be mended, that you be completed in the same mind and in the same judgment. What does this imply about what Paul desires? The Greek words for mind and judgment refer not to affections and feelings, but to the working of the mind and its products. This text, this letter from Paul, aims at a unity of ideas, not feelings. During all the political rhetoric we have been hearing, I heard this fantastic quote on the radio and I was driving, so I couldn't write down who said it, but I just loved it. Everyone is trying to make a statement. No one is trying to make a difference. Shouldn't the church of Jesus Christ be an example of coming together in spite of our differences, our interpretations, our eloquent preachers? If one thing we can agree on, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Well, let's start there. Winston Churchill said, when there is no enemy within, the enemies outside cannot hurt you. In Christ, the chief source of our identity, it's not our hobbies, our socioeconomic status, our gender, our political party, or even our season in life. The chief source of our identity is Christ, who abolished all walls of separation that once put us at different tables in the 7th grade lunchroom. It is time for Christians to embrace this Christ-centered intimacy with other believers. When I was in seminary, well-respected theologian Walter Brueggemann said to me, stick to the text, young lady, stick to the text. You see, I just wanted people to pay attention. So I often had big things and giant illustrations, which is why when I was asked, what slides are you going to have today, what this, what, that. I said nothing, nothing. I must have been asked three times because they couldn't believe it. I wasn't having slideshows and comics and all that. We're unplugged because this text doesn't need embellishments. You see, Paul is saying to decorate the story of the cross with rhetoric and cleverness would have been to make people think more of the language than of the facts, more of the speaker than of the message. I hope you get the message, because it's Paul's aim to set for his listeners not himself, but Christ in all his grandeur. It's my aim, and it should be your aim. It's not about us. Your church, your pastor, your music people— your gestures of goodwill, your membership roles. But it's about the cross of Christ. The awesome manifestation of the way and the power of God. United in that, united in that, we will all stand. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we are so grateful that you are in charge and we are not. Let the church of Christ come together in a unified manner, in a way that has not even happened yet. Help us to see you and what unites us and not what divides us. Lord, we offer these prayers to you in your powerful and holy name. Amen.